Hey everybody, you are listening to Smart Guy, Dumb Guy. I am your host and dumb guy, Christian Surge. And as always with us, our co-host, both a reverend and dungeon master, mm-hmm. Johnny Morrison. That is right. <laughs> I was thrown <laughs> by, by you saying that I had no response. It's just true. Those things are just true. Um, They're like polar it, opposites, right? I'm a reverend and I'm a dungeon master. I think or that's the they? tension that I want to live in in all parts of my life. And I want other okay. people to be forced to live in with me as well. That I am both one thing and something else that you don't expect at the same time. We're all moving in with Johnny Morrison. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a small house, but everybody's welcome. If you're new to the show, then uh, right now and for the next 23 minutes, we're going to have a conversation about culture, current events, politics, maybe Dungeons and Dragons from both sides of the intellectual spectrum. Johnny, I have a confession to make in your reverence. So I'm just curious if you just let me clear my chest for a minute. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, no, I don't normally take confessions the same way that a priest does, but I'm happy to oblige. <sighs> Man, I mean, I thought all reverends and priests and stuff did that kind of thing where you're like, hey, I got to confess something. See, my my tradition, I think it's good to do it with me, but my tradition would say, like, you can do that with anybody. Like, we all oh, have okay. the same connection. But I'm happy, Christian, I'm happy as a friend to fill that role. I got to get off my chest. I, I voted this week mm-hmm. and I wore the sticker and I had a conversation with a friend and I, I made a, a grave mistake. I said... How can you be Christian and vote for that guy? Hmm. And it was a very intense conversation. I realized the errors of my way and I feel really bad. But the question I have is, at what point do you support leaders if you believe in Jesus, which I do, and I think the call of Jesus is to love your enemies, but also stand up for the things that you believe... At some point, where is the line where you have to draw and say, I can't support this guy? And I'm not talking about one specific guy or the other. At what point is it? Like, if Satan himself were up there and you're a Christian, you believe in Jesus, would you vote for him? Because you think that his policies are awesome, mm. uh, but he's a liar and a cheat. And his you know, personally, he's just, just a, a, a drone, you know? And you're just like, what? I don't know what a drone would be. Be, but you know what I mean? Like, like <laughs> yeah, sure. It's kind of an idiot. At what point do you draw the line? Hmm. I don't know. I mean, I think that that's, the, isn't that, that's the tension of like the modern political moment and the evangelical church is that 80 or so percent of white evangelicals say Trump is the right choice and they draw the line at Hillary in 2016 or Biden now. And then more progressive Christians, Christians of color overwhelmingly are drawing the line at Trump and saying, you know, Biden is the better of these two candidates. I mean, it literally feels like the thing that you're naming is the thing that both sides are kind of accusing each other of. Hmm. That I had, that I draw the line here, therefore I can't vote for Biden. Or I draw the line here, therefore I can't vote with Trump. It kind of reminds me of last week's episode, which is like, ideology is a weird thing. Yeah, it is. I heard something recently as of last night. Someone said, we as people have three different levels. We have a lot of beliefs, things that we believe in. And that we can have arguments about, we can talk about passionately, we can get upset, we can even mm. be offensive like I was. There are several things that we'll stand up for. We'll just draw the line. Like, mm. no, that's the line. I'll still support, but I'll draw the line. Several things. Call it abortion in political world. Call it, some people have their line at, at like swearing or, or quote, taking mm. the Lord's name in vain, things like that. 
that's what they'll stand up for. And they'll like, they'll literally say, nope, you're not my friend no more. You're, you know, I'm mm-hmm. distancing myself from you and, and, and whatever. And then there are only a few things that we'll die for. And I feel like that could be a good ruler of the line. Hmm. So if a demon was up for president, you would say, oh, I can, I can support some of the demons things, but I can't. like, <laughs> if you take it to the extreme level, it does sound kind of comical, right? Mm-hmm. So what you're saying is that the line is you're going to measure things that you believe in, measure things that you would stand up for, and measure things that you would be willing to die for. And you're saying that even if a demon ran for president of the United States of America, then you would evaluate the demon's policies based upon what you believe in, what you would stand up for, and what you would die for. That's what you're saying. I mean, you're yes, you're a dungeon master, so uh-huh. demons are in there, right? Sure, yeah, yep. And, and elves and things. Uh-huh. So if an evil elf was running for president, <laughs> okay. I would somehow, somehow we have to take a line, right? Mm-hmm. Otherwise we are supporting and like you can take the line all the way back and say, hey, if you vote for that person, um, you aren't Christian or mm-hmm. you aren't a follower of Jesus. Otherwise mm-hmm. that happens a lot. Mm-hmm. That is true. So, okay. So what you're saying is that we have to draw the line somewhere. I think so. Yeah. Where, what, in those three categories, where do you think the line has to be drawn? That is a question. I don't know. I'm much more of a black and white kind of guy, right? Mm. Like I'll see something and I'll go, that's stupid. Mm -hmm. And you know, by people around me like, whoa, hold on, hold on. It's not stupid. Then they kind of give me the line. Like you do that a lot for me. I'm like, that's just crazy. And you're like, well, I don't know. It's it's actually complicated. There's an ideology of this. And there was this article and unheard, you know, like you you really bring me out of the the (laughs) black and white. That's a good impression. (laughs) Well, you don't talk like this. (laughs) That's true. You know, there's there's a tradition, a Christian tradition often referred to as like Anabaptists. And the Anabaptists would say that the political system in America and other places too, but in America specifically, is so fundamentally broken that that voting for anybody is basically voting for the demon that you named. Yes. And that the only way, because it's it's kind of black and white in what you're saying, there's nuance that I'm not trying to oversimplify a complicated position. Because that's true, that Biden is not actually much better than Trump, in this situation, Mm -hmm. then the way in which you participate in a meaningful way is you remove yourself from the political system and re-embed in the local and in the people around you. And that's where you put your energies because there's, it's only demons in the political sphere. So that's like one place you could draw the line. Ah, I think I can get behind that actually. That actually (laughs) sounds like, what's their number? The Anabaptists. Let me call them, have a chat. (laughs) What is the number? Yeah, yeah. I agree. It's very compelling. It's very helpful. Well, speaking of withholding information or getting, withholding the big information politically and bringing it back to local, there have been Mm -hmm. some big tech companies recently that have been withholding information. What a segue. Christian, your segues are just on point. We're gonna get a little. We're gonna get like a little bell that every time you nail a segue, it dings in the background. Um, but yes, that's true. So we we have talked about this actually. I think once or twice on this show already about like the role that big tech plays in politics and like American life generally. But I found this article this week from Unheard. Uh, there was a bit more of a conservative article from a conservative point of view, criticizing the way Twitter blocked 
the recent New York Post story about Hunter Biden's business dealings with foreign governments and then how it went on to block uh, Kaylee McEnany, who is the White House press secretary, which is kind of a crazy thing to do to block a like a U.S. political official right before an election. And the article is, is largely criticizing big media for the way in which they've blocked these voices. And it feels like it's a fascinating moment where on, on when we were first talking about it, it was like the progressive left was criticizing Twitter for not blocking enough or not being engaged enough. And then here is them blocking really substantial figures and very mm. substantial stories. And even characters who were like, oh, yeah, it was OK for everybody to block, you know, like alt-right white nationalists are now like, whoa, is this appropriate? Is this the appropriate kind of interference by social media? And I think that leaves us with that question, like, what is the appropriate kind of influence that social media and tech should have on our, like, collective political conversation? I think this is a perfect example of what one group of people call the left media. Like, they don't know what Mm. they want. Mm. And on one end, they're like, you need to do something about this. This is your fault. And then when they do something about it, they're like, hey, you did way, way too much. Personally... Mm -hmm. When I read this article, um, did a little research on Douglas Murray, the article, and he's not my favorite guy, but I, you know, I've had so many people say never trust a Brit. And I know that's a horrible phrase. (laughs) Who says that? Like even my British friend who is actually from like Sheffield, he's like, oh yeah, yeah, mate, never trust a Brit. I'm like, why would you say that? And he's like, well, we just were kind of for our own thing. So Douglas Murray's out of London. And of course he has lots of complaints and his Mm -hmm. other books, his other articles are all about the sly dishonesty of Owen Jones. You know, he Mm -hmm. really wants to reveal this, this dishonest character of, of America. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I don't know. I, I think it fits in with that. Totally. Like, I think this is a perfect example of that. Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. Like it is, Yes, I think that's true. And I think you're right about naming this person. It's one of the reasons I chose the article is because I think he is so critical of America and it does so from a more con- like a conservative point of view and a foreign point of view that I thought it would be an interesting article to have this conversation with as opposed to mm. it being from Fox or from Vox or something like local, mm. you know, more American medias. And I think you're right. I think it is naming that kind of like liberal biasy. But I did think that there was some points that were being named that were really interesting about why the Twitter banned stories about Hunter Biden's business dealings with foreign governments. That feels questionable. And and the article says that the New York Post is like a respected news source. No one in America thinks the New York Post is a respected news source. So that's how you know it was written by a British person. But still, it's crazy that it was blocked. It's crazy that Kaylee McEnany was blocked. And then and then the point that the author of this this piece makes is that and the story that was trending was um, the Supreme Court conversation around the use of the term sexual preference, which I think yeah. is an important conversation. But I do think it's hard to argue that that is a more important conversation than the potential future president of the United States son um, being embroiled in foreign business ventures. When I think about the question, what is the line when they call out, when this article calls out overt censorship, first off, 
the, I don't, I, they just should have said like big censorship or something. Mm. Cause overt just seems like it's uh, part of covert and just missing a C. And so I have to figure out what over it means. But to me, it means like a lot of censorship. I think this goes back to that line. Where is that ruler? Just like we just talked about. Mm-hmm. At what point do you say, up oh, social media, you put a hand in it too much. And I think mm-hmm. that is, that's a freedom of speech thing. Should we be able to say what we want unless it hurts people? Should white supremacists, supremacists, I can't even say that word. Should white supremacist groups be able to uh, print hate uh, documents? Mm-hmm. We're a country that has seen a lot of this and people uh, form angry mobs and kill each other when Mm. pamphlets are written and passed Mm -hmm. out. I had a friend who lives by, they found out they lived by a sexual predator and that's not uncommon in many states. And they did a little research and it was 30 years prior. And they were like, you watch, when we meet this guy, he's probably a pastor and he's probably has a, a church and he's probably the nicest guy. And he was, you know, 17 when this happened and he got convicted and all that stuff. And they meet him, of course, he's a pastor, changed his life, became a mm. Christian in uh, prison. And uh, a week later, his picture, a 17-year-old mugshot was posted over by one of the neighborhoods, just like, just, just blasted out over the neighborhoods, you know, 30 years ago. And he's living in your neighborhood and stuff like that. So... Should we be able to do things like that, right? Mm. Should we be able to post that up? People were people were upset. People weren't upset, but this guy was hugely embarrassed. Thirty years after he's been, you know, served his time and exonerated and, and clean record and pastor and all that stuff. What is overt censorship? Should they be able to do that? Should Twitter be able to mm-hmm. censor things? I don't know. When I read uh, articles or that some of my friends post on Facebook that are obviously not factual based. Mm-hmm. It's hard. I want him to shut up. Totally. Well, it goes back to the conversation we had last week about like partisan media, which is the more you consume content that is like overtly partisan, the less informed you are also. And so it's like this responsibility. Well, I guess the question is, does social media companies have a responsibility to filter the kind of information that people receive? Because the algorithms that they're using that generate more and more of the same kinds of content is making us less informed. And making us more partisan, right? That's like, did you see the Netflix's documentary, The Social Dilemma? Not yet. No, but that's like, I mean, that's like the point, right? Everybody's like, oh man, we're going to delete our social media because the algorithms they're using generate more and more of the same kind of partisan content, which divides us more and more. And so, yeah, what is the responsibility that social media have? And then what is the responsibility that we have? Like, do we, what do we as, as citizens do with our social media accounts? Is there, is there even a way for us to bring a level of balance and responsibility to social media or do we just delete them? I think the company should be able to do what they want. Hmm. I think if they want to promote false stories, they should be able to. I think if they want to censor stories, they can. They're a company. Whoa. It's not something that they're doing to provide a equal platform. They hmm. want to make money. Mm-hmm. We subscribe to their platform. If we want an equal platform where you can only say fun things and nice things, we should make that as a people. Someone should make that. So I I think in in, in principle, I agree with you, but I think that a company like Facebook has become too large Mm. and so ubiquitous. Like it's, it's, Facebook is one of the primary ways in which people around the world get internet access. It's like their, it's like their Google that opens up on their browser. It's the way in which they access the internet. At that point, you're a public utility and you should be regulated as a public utility. But is that saying, McDonald's, you made me fat. I'm suing you. 
Well, I think the I think the question is 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 McDonald's a monopoly? that stops the ability of small businesses from operating? And I would say yes to that. Because the question mm. you were like, people should be able to start their own social media company as a new platform. And I don't think that you can because Facebook aggressively works so that you can't, right? They bought Instagram, they bought Oculus, they bought Snapchat or whatever, they bought um, WhatsApp. They just buy or destroy whatever competitors they have. And so then you can't compete with them and there's no other options on the market. So then if there's no other options, they have to be, they have to be regulated like a utility. I mean, some people would call that capitalism. I, I, that is capitalism and yeah. it's bad. <laughs> <laughs> I heard the tone of your voice when you said, whoa, no, uh, I, I do agree that when someone gets too large, we have to think about it as a community. And mm -hmm. we have to think if we want it. And we have to think if it fits in the narrative of the social rules that we accepted as America. Is mm -hmm. this what we wanted? We always talk about the founding fathers. These are the discussions where we should go, yeah, did the founding fathers want this too? I don't know if they could even fathom it, but I don't think that's what they wanted. Yeah. If you read in the, the Declaration of Independence about being created equal and free, and we've never been able to obtain that. This is a perfect example of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do believe at the core companies should do what they want, but I do believe that they should be held responsible and they get to reap the consequences. And maybe this is one of the consequences. Sure. Sure. Well, I guess that that is, that could potentially be true, which is like the problem with large companies is that for the most part, they're totally shielded from consequences, right? Like what is the numbers that have come out about how many people have gotten COVID in Amazon factories? It's just tons and there's no consequences for Jeff. Like Jeff is still the most wealthy man in the world. He has the income of like some countries. Nobody can do anything mm -hmm. to him. And nope. so like, what are the, like, is there going to be consequences that Amazon faces for that? Facebook faces, you know, whatever big tech faces. And how do we enact those consequences so that there's repercussions that stop them from disseminating false information or whatever? I don't know the answer to this question. I know that it infuriates a lot of people and probably <laughs> I've infuriated a lot of people here as well. I think a lot of people, well, I read an article about people uh, expatriating and leaving this country because of problems like this, because they're sick of hmm. things like this, big companies being able to do what they want, capitalism being unregulated, income taxes hmm. soaring. And, you know, back 20 years ago, I was a different guy. I would have been like, leave this country, go ahead, leave it. If you don't want to be here, leave it. Now I'm like, why are they leaving? Hmm. In this article in the Wall Street Journal, more Americans are renouncing their citizenship. Evidently, nearly 37,000 have expatriated over the past decade. And that doesn't really seem like a large number when you think about that there's, you know, 160 million people in the United States. Don't quote me on that. I think it's since 300 and I think it's closer to 330 million. Okay, so 1% leaving the country, but they're not just leaving the country, they're expatriating, they're essentially getting mm -hmm. their exit card and saying, I don't want to be uh, American citizen anymore, including the likes of Tina Turner, co-founder of Facebook, Edward Saverin. And then this is funny, the article uh, calls out the British Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, and I think it's funny. Well, he's British, that's why he expatriated. But um, again, that's dual funny. citizenship, never trust a Brit, come on. Oh, Interesting. I didn't know that Boris Johnson had dual citizenship. Very fascinating. Or I guess did. That's fascinating. Yeah. He was born here and decided to renounce his citizenship. <sighs> Nearly 37,000 Americans have expatriated. 80% uh, of them have expatriated from 2016 to 2020. 
Now, the article names uh, the IRS, the idea that the taxes are rising. But in there, there's a hint of, is it because of the political uh, nature of things mm. and the way this country is going as far as censorship, mm. uh, left or right, as far as monopolies, left or right, government control, left or right. A lot of them are, are going to Sweden or countries mm. that essentially take care of the poor, have less tax burden, and have created more of a society of believers of peace, supposedly, mm. and less of this diversion. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. I don't think, I think what you just named is true. I don't think it's in primarily taxes that are pe- that are causing people to leave. Like my father-in-law has not expatriated, but he is living in Canada and I don't think he'll ever come back. Um, and in part, it's because of the political climate. Like he doesn't want to live in a country that is as partisan as the one that we live in. And then part of it is just the social security, like what you mentioned, the social nets that exist in Canada versus the United States, like healthcare, retirement benefits. And the longer he lives in that and the more that he experiences it, the more he's like, why would I go back? Like, this is amazing. And it's friendlier politically. And so I think like what you named is totally true of, of his experience and people that I've known who have left the United States. So the question I have is, is it telling of where we're going as a country Mm. or is it just part of our freedoms that we enjoy Mm. to expatriate? How does this affect our global awareness as a global community? Like, what are we going to do about this? If anything, does this matter? Um, Have you ever watched the really great TV show, 90 Day Fiance? No, that sounds really (laughs) funny. So I think it's such trash TV, but I have to be honest, I really like it. Um, <laughs> that's the dungeon master side of you. That's the dungeon. I don't know what side of it it is. It's, it's another <laughs> complex, you know, I am yeah. a multitude. And, uh, but the show I really think is fascinating because, you know, for the most part, it's like American men who meet women abroad. And then the question that their families always ask them, almost consistently, the question that their families ask them is, is this person coming for a citizenship Mm -hmm. um, to get a green card or whatever? And what I love about it is that the person who's coming is always like, no, I don't want to be here. Like my, first of all, my friends, my family is in Brazil or in uh, Moscow or in England or, you know, all over the world. And they're like, why would I want to be here? And, and there was a recent episode where it was a woman, she met a man in Spain and he was like, she was like, you're coming in part for the American dream. And he was like, no, I had the Spanish dream, which is better. And I love the way it kind of challenges American exceptionalism. Like we have this notion that we are so much better than everywhere else. Hmm. And I think the story that you're telling of people expatriating to the rest of the world, is like, that's actually just not true. It's not, there's things about America that are great, but there's things about the rest of the world that are equally great. And the name that we are the best or number one is to believe a story about ourselves that isn't grounded in reality. Yeah. I, cha- I was challenged by this because I was challenged the idea of, do I want to care about this? Hmm. And I really do want to know why. And I don't think it's just the IRS taxes. Um, I think that I remember in 2008 when uh, George W. Bush was uh, running for president and there were several actors who you know, spoke out and said, if President Bush gets elected, I'm leaving this country. And then you, you know, showed droves of people with signs saying, leave this country and mm-hmm. stuff like that with the idea that America is the greatest country in the world. And President Bush, it's no secret, uh, secret that he commonly referred to the uh, 
United States as the light of the world. And I'm very thankful that to be in this country. The statement that the country is this country is the light of the world um, is challenging because mm-hmm. I don't think we no longer are the light of the world if we were ever. And so now I go, all right, I wouldn't mind living in the Swiss Alps. I mm-hmm. wouldn't mind, you know, living in Belize. I wouldn't mind living in uh, South America. There mm-hmm. are a lot of places that I would love to go. Mm-hmm. I, I want to know more about this 90 day fiance. So you should uh, watch it. Hulu, TLC, 90 day fiance. So when they leave, they're like, no, no, I, I don't want to be here in Spain anymore. I want to go to the United States. It's almost always, I love you, like this American counterpart. And so I'm coming to be with you because it's easier for me to get here than it is for you to come to me. Like you're refusing to come to me. So I'm going to come to you, but I don't want to leave Spain. Uh, I don't want to leave Brazil. Like this is my family's here. My loved ones are here. I like okay, the I culture it. of this place, whatever, you know, but it's always this confrontation because the American's family always assumes that the person coming is coming for a green card. And that's wow. just, it's, it's very rarely the case that that's actually what's happening. The assumptions we make as a people in America mm-hmm. are mind boggling. Mm-hmm. They're just mind boggling. It's like when I would tell people I'm from Las Vegas and people would ask me if I ever got away from the strip or if I just was born at Circus Circus. And I'm like, are you serious? Mm-hmm. Like there's more than just the strip in Las Vegas. <laughs> totally. So I, so I started saying, yeah, my mom, she was a dancer at Bally's and my dad was a pimp. And most people would go, oh, oh, how, how was that? I'm like, oh my gosh, of course they weren't. Are you kidding me? <laughs> So, no, my dad was not a pimp. <laughs> yeah, like my dad's a dentist. It's pretty normal. <laughs> yeah, my dad was a dentist. My mom was not a dancer at Bally's. She was a teacher in school. Very normal. So, Very normal professions. Yes. And we didn't live on the strip. So the assumptions that we make are crazy. Yeah. As a global community, seeing this happen, even caring about it a little bit, what does it do to us? Like, does it incite any kind of fight instinct in us when we hear about Mm. people that we may look up to leave? Does it uh, a fight or flight instance? And how do we, what are we supposed to think about this? Mm. Just anger? Like, us Americans, our assumptions are horrible and good riddance. Oh, interesting. I mean, I think that it's fair to feel sad that people leave, but I don't know that we should feel angry that people leave would want to leave. I don't know that we should feel judgmental towards people who want to leave. I think we should recognize that like the world is a beautiful place and that there's other places to be and that America isn't always the best place to be. And then, you know, if we want to live here, then the the question is like, can we make it better? I think like those two things can exist at the same time and you can also have American pride or whatever it is that you want to have. (laughs) <laughs> what is it that you want to have? I, I was trying to think of like America, you know, you could be like patriotic if that's a thing that you are and also recognize that America has deep seated problems and recognize that the rest of the world has amazing, you know, beautiful things to experience. Like all those things can live together in one hand and you can embody those things as an American citizen. And I think that's the thing that we've not been good at historically. Right. And, and there, I, feel like, I was just going to say, and I feel like that's the thing that you're naming today is that like America whether it wants to be or not, is a part of a global community. And it's kind of time that we start recognizing that we are that, that we're a member of this thing that's happening around us, not the best of it, not the only one, that we participate in something that's good 
and also difficult. There's the Reverend I know. That ends our episode of Smart Guy, <laughs> Dumb Guy. Come back again next week if you like the conversations. But more than that, please continue to have your own. Would you tell a friend about Smart Guy, Dumb Guy this week? We need your help. Send us suggestions on what you'd like us to talk about. Find out more about both of us on Instagram at Smart Guy, Dumb Guy. Hey, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. have been listening to a smart guy and a dumb guy production a podcast exploring culture current events and politics from both sides of the intellectual spectrum see you next time